has caused the drizzle to shower. At least come out in this intoxicating weather and see. This is the Bhajan Sawan Dayalune Drema Jim Malaye on page 254. In the sky there are colorful swings. At least set the swing of love to its peak and see. Understand the melody of the song sung by the cuckoo. At least sing one song of love and see. You will get the happiness of heaven here itself. At least come under the shade of the hair and see. I'll make you drink through the cups of eyes. At least exchange your glance with me and see. I'll write my whole life in your name. At least for once get in love with me and see. I'll keep you hidden in my eyelashes. At least come into the courtyard of my heart and see. Today the nectar is showering from the skies. At least create the yearning for once and see. Coming into the intoxication of the month of Samhain, at least shoot the arrows of your glance and see. The jabe has become yours for no cost. At least for once you try me and see. Gracious Samhain has caused the drizzle to shower. At least come out in this intoxicating weather and see. Bhajan of Sanchi on page 254. <laughs> Okay. 
ke tadega ju mo sarangi leche ha ke tadega sa wande alune rimaji malagi ju mo sarangi leche Gracious Samhain has caused the drizzle to shower, at least come out in this intoxicating weather and see. Our next bhajan is on page 115. Oh friends, my beautiful Satguru is Kripal. He is merciful on the poor. I was separated for so many births and was searching for the dearly beloved. May I meet the perfect master so that I may go across. Now I have got the husband, the emperor, who takes care of me. Oh, friends, wandering from door to door, I became very crazy. I did not get any knower of the heart. No one heard my plea. Oh, friends, now I have got my beloved, the support of my heart, the treasure of Shabbat. I did the practices of water, performing the austerities, and bathed in the places of pilgrimage. I worshipped in the temples and holy places, but no one shared the pain. Oh, friends, my beloved has come and has put me on the path and makes me see him. Listen, O oh beloved Kripal, make everyone have the beautiful darshan. The life of a jab is full of bad qualities. Take him across. O oh friends, the true saint has come. My husband has come, and he loves me. O oh friends, my beautiful Sadhguru is Kripal. He is merciful on the poor. 
Bhajan of Sanchi on page 115. Satguru Sona Mera Kaijanamato-vichyadisi-me-lapdi-pritam-pyara Satguru Pura Mil Jai Menu Ho Jai Para Kutara Mil Gia Mahi Mera Nishena Shahi Mera Nimil Gia Mahi Mera Nishena Shahi Mera Sambalani sayo, Dina Dayalani sayo, Satyadur Sona Mera, Hekir Palani sayo, Dina Dayalani sayo, Sayo ni may dar dar fear cake. Dadi Pagalahoi Dilda Jani Koi Namilia Nasuni Arjoi Sayoni Dadi Pagalahoi Dilda Jani Koi Namilia Sahara Mera Nidilagia Piara Mera Nidilisahara Mera Shabada Bandar Niseo Dina Deal Niseo Satur Sona Mera Jaladare or dune tapke tata tiratnaya Shivale te mandir puje kise naduka vandaya Jaladare or dune tapke tata tiratnaya Shivale te mandir puje kise naduka vandaya. 
Sate Payani Mela Mahi Payani Mela Sate Payadave Didar and he say, Oh, in a day, Shadikavo Sabanu Sunakir Pala Piare Eba Bari Ajaiba Dijindari Lavo Para Kinare Sona Darshadikavo Sabanu Sunakir Pala Piare Eba Bari Ajaiba Dijindari Lavo Parakinare Sacha Santa Ayani Mera Kanta Ayani Sacha Santa Ayani Mera Kanta Oh, friends, my beautiful Satguru is Kripal. He is merciful on the poor. time that I was here, I read the first part of the section selection called on prayer and forgiveness, conversations by the silencing. I want to pick up where we left off approximately and uh, finish that story or those conversations today. At this stage, Mr. Virban, Deputy Director of Industries of the Punjab, arrived with a European gentleman and a lady. Wonderful are the ways of the master. Like a magnet, he draws his chosen souls to himself. This, la this lady, on seeing the master, came running and fell down at his feet. He put both of his hands on her head and asked her to rise, but she would not. She began to cry and kissed his feet, which were bare. That was a scene for gods to see. He was sitting in a low, easy chair, and the lady was wetting his feet with her tears. Now calm yourself, my daughter, and be seated, he said. The young lady raised her head, looked into his eyes, and again laid her head on his feet. 
Well, come on, let us talk now. Where did you learn this oriental way of prostrating yourself? Get up now, please, he said. There were both command and affection in these words, and the lady could resist no longer. You taught me all this, great master, she replied. But we have never met before, said he. Have we not? Are we not old friends? Then she corrected herself. Have you not been my guardian angel since my childhood? Her story revealed the following facts. Her name was Miss E and she was American. During her childhood, she had occasionally had visions of the great master but did not know who he was. For some time past, she had no such visions and had quite forgotten about the previous ones. About a week before she had come to Dalhousie, the, vision, the visions had begun to appear again, though this time always in dreams. They left a very soothing and peaceful effect on her mind, and she felt very happy about it. She had a premonition that they presaged some great event in her life, and that it was to happen very soon. She wondered what she could do to bring that time nearer, but what was there she could do? The master appeared in the vision at his own sweet will and always uttered the words, be ready, which conveyed no meaning to her. She said, I could only pray and I did begin to pray. Yesterday evening, she continued, an Indian gentleman with a charming wife and children came to stay in my hotel and took the rooms next to mine. They had a number of foreign periodicals, such as Life, Time, Look, and Sketch with them, for which I had been looking since I left Bombay more than a month ago. This led to my making their acquaintance that very evening. But the Lord had his own purpose in this. Ostensibly, he sent me to them to borrow a copy of a picture magazine, but in reality, he wanted to show me his own picture. No sooner had I entered their sitting room than my attention was drawn to a photograph in a silver frame placed on the mantelpiece. I ran toward it like a child and took it in my hands without asking anyone's permission. A moment later I asked, who is this? Whose photo is it? It is of the great master, our Satguru, said the gentleman whose name I later came to know was Mr. Virban. Have you ever met him, he asked. Yes, many times, but only in dreams and visions, I told him. In these, there was the same celestial light shining on the serene face, the same sunny smile, the same brilliant eyes beaming forth love, mercy, and kindliness, and the same white beard matching the immaculate white dress that I had seen in my visions. I kissed the photo again and again and excitedly pressed it to my heart. The family was not surprised at my behavior. They only looked a little amused. Where does he live? I asked Mr. Virabhan. In the devotee's hearts, he replied teasingly. Where can I meet him? I asked. And the result of our long talk is that you find me here today. Afterwards, she said that she had had only one doubt. 
a Mohammedan mystic in Persia had told her that she would meet her master in India. The mystic had said, he is the king of all the masters in the world. His ashram is on the bank of a river in northern India. Accordingly, when she learned that the great master's ashram was on the bank of the river Bayas, she was completely satisfied. It was apparent that she was a sincere seeker after God, and she asked the great master many questions about Santmat practices and how they differed from Christ's way of God-realization. In fact, the next two or three days were exclusively her days. Her questions and the great master's answers were so interesting and engrossing that there was no time for anyone else to think of any questions. On the first two days, she asked dozens of questions about Sant Mat and many more about Christ and Christianity. Our opinion of Europeans and Americans, though based only on hearsay and casual observations, was that they were very highly materialistic. But this young lady's life and the lives of about a dozen of her friends who afterwards became satsangis through her totally changed our opinion. She told us that she and all the other members of her family had from a very young age read the Bible regularly every day and that they never missed their prayers before going to bed. They attended church services on every Sunday and they had always done their best to lead a true Christian life according to the teachings of Christ. This included helping the poor and needy with money and services as much as they could. But beyond this, they did not know anything about religion. A few days later, she brought with her an American missionary, whom she introduced to the great master in these terms. Sir, here is Reverend Mr. H., my father confessor. I have told him that I am renouncing Christianity and taking up the Santnat religion. He may try to change my decision if he can. Why renounce Christianity, the great master asked. Rather, you're becoming a true Christian and are going to follow the real teachings of Christ. You must remember that Santnat is not a religion. Followers of all religions are among its followers. Its basic truth is found at the bottom of all the religions. One does not find God by changing religions. Devotees in all the religions have found him. It is devotion, love, and the pangs of separation from the Lord that count, and not the rites and rituals of religions. This lady was telling me that according to you, one can see Christ even now, said the missionary. Yes, within us, said the great master, not anywhere outside. If the kingdom of heaven is within us, then certainly Christ is there also. And there too, you will not only meet Lord Jesus Christ, but also all the prophets and incarnations. What is the method of going within, asked the missionary. We rise to heaven on the ladder of the word, which St. John says was in the beginning with God and was God, replied the great master. That word is no more in the world. That word was Christ, exclaimed the missionary. 
Certainly Christ was the Word, and the Word was Christ, the great Master said. But let us consider this matter a little more calmly and clearly. The words in the Gospel are, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning here means before the universe was created, and when as yet there was nothing. Do you seriously contend that what follows was said of the man Jesus? After a short pause, the great master continued, saying, No, this was spoken of that which became a man the power that incarnated as Jesus Christ, to which John refers as the word which became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The word is the ocean of the eternal life and light of the creator from which all the saints come. They are, so to say, waves of that ocean, and they return to that ocean after doing their duty here below. Christ came from that ocean, did his work here, and returned to that ocean when his task was done. The body was the garment that he put on here. The body was not Christ. He assumed the body only so that he could be understood by the men whom he was to teach. Since men can only understand the language of a man, he therefore had to assume the human form. He left the body behind when his task was done. It was the body that was crucified and not the Christ. That Christ, which could not be crucified and which existed before the creation, was and is the Word. Before Jesus came, many other Christs had come into the world under different names and in different countries, and many more Christs will come in the future. This world can never remain without a Christ. He is always here to help and guide those who seek him. Sir, why is he called the Word? asked the young lady. This term is very confusing, said the great master. Word is the translation of the Greek word logos, which in its turn is translated from the Hebrew word mimra. The ancient Hindu words used to convey this idea of the divine power that created the universe are Shabad and Nad, which in English means sound. This is more clear and expressive. Shabad or Nad means sound, order, or voice. I think the same idea must have been expressed by the original word, which was translated as Lagos in the Greek Bible. The Bible says that all things were made by the Word, and without him was not anything made that was made. Similarly, Swamiji says, all creation was made by the Shabbat, the sound. The Granth Sahib says, the earth was created by Shabbat, and so was the sky and the firmament. Shabbat created the light. The whole of the universe was created by Shabbat, and that Shabbat resounds in every heart. The meaning of these two terms, word and Shabbat, is so very identical that one is led to believe that the original word in the language that Christ spoke 
and in which the Bible was first written must be similar in meaning to the potent sound of the Upanishads. Yes, said the missionary, the Bible reached us only after being translated through many languages. And it was corrected so often and then its different parts were canceled when new versions were prepared, the American lady commented. The Holy Bible is full of gems of spirituality, but these are found in small fragments scattered here and there, the great master went on. They can be rightly understood by one who is initiated by a master in the mystic path of Christ. This is the main difficulty in understanding the real teachings of Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings are not to be found at one place in the Bible in the form of a thesis or a complete discourse. In going through these fragments, you always feel that there's some missing link somewhere and because of these missing links, one finds it difficult to clearly understand those passages. The Bible was written long after the crucifixion of Christ by persons who for the most part had never met or heard him directly, the missionary pointed out. The language used by them had to be very guarded for fear of the persecutions that started soon after the passing away of the Lord. The writers only reproduced from memory what they had heard. No notes in writing could have been taken of what he said at the time that he spoke, said the lady. On this point, the great master commented, when the teachings of a great master are put in black and white long after his departure, it is extremely difficult to reproduce exactly what he said or meant to convey. And when it had to pass through translation into two or three different languages, some of which may not have had an adequate spiritual vocabulary, its lot can be well imagined, remarked the American lady. Translations, however skillful they may be, are likely to miss some of the original points, the master said. Sometimes a translator who fails to find an appropriate word for a term in his own language coins his own phraseology for it, and this often plays havoc with the original text, the lady added. Yes, that is only natural, said the great master. Sometimes, failing to understand the real idioms of the original language or the intention of the teacher, the translator interprets these according to his own ideas. Why did Jesus take all the trouble of coming from Galilee in the north to Jordan in the south to meet John and be baptized by him? Was John greater than Jesus? What actually was the true position of John, the American lady asked. Christ himself answered this question when John refused to baptize him, said the master. He said, suffer it to be so, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. To adopt a master is an ancient, unwritten law of spirituality, which God himself ordained. He ordained that no one shall enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is duly initiated by a true master. This has been an accepted rule among all the mystic schools of the world to whatever country or age 
they belonged. This righteous institution is looked upon as a divine ordinance. The great Kabir, though a born saint, had to adopt Ramanand, a sannyasi, as his guru because no one would listen to one who was not duly initiated by a master. To call a person Nigura or Bemurshada, one without a master, is supposed to be a great insult in India and Persia. Indian scriptures are full of examples where one without a guru was refused entry to the heavens, Svarag and Baikunt. The most famous story of this kind is that of Sukhdev, the son of Rishi Vyas, the compiler of the Puranas and Vedas. He was born Jnani, a sage having knowledge of Brahm, and possessed the 16 virtues and inherent powers. On one occasion, he thought he would like to see Baikunth, the heaven presided over by the god Vishnu. On reaching there, he was turned back by the Devarpals, the gatekeepers. He was very angry and spoke about this insult to his father, Rishi Vyas, who told him that he had been justly treated and that the gates of heaven do not open to a guruless person, however exalted or advanced he may be. And, of course, as many of us will remember, Sanchi often told this story and continued it. Uh, in which they, um, Sukhdev had to find his guru was King Janak, and uh, he had many difficulties accepting this and many adventures in uh, taking him as his guru. The Grand Sahib says, Nikure kahe darspura, to come across a Nagura is supposed to be a bad omen. Kabir says, a thousand sinners will I welcome, but may I never meet a guruless person. And Yagoda carries on his head the load of more than a thousand sinners. Why is a guru so essential? Pandit Thakardat asked. To this the great master replied, God has ordained it that way and no one can question his authority. A king can lay down any rules he likes to regulate, who can have audience with him and how. Masters are always present in this world. It cannot exist without them. When one master goes, he leaves another to work in his place. There is no difference between them. John the Baptist was the greatest master of his time. You read in the Bible that Jerusalem and all Judea and all regions round about Jordan went out to him and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. John saw that he was to leave this earth soon, and so he baptized Jesus to carry on the work after him. Through all ages do the successive generations of the masters appear to show the way, says Nanak. The line of masters remains in the world at all times. At this moment, a number of Gurkha, Nepalese satsangis, who were military officers in the Baklo cantonment, about 10 miles from Dalhousie, came to see the great master. Master was at this point, all of these events are happening in the city of Dalhousie, which is in the Himalayas in the north of India, very near Nepal. 
which is why the Gurkha, the Nepalese, are there. They fell at his feet. A lady member of the party wet his feet with her tears and would not leave them. A member of the European party remarked that this was an ignominious debasing of human dignity. The great master said, I have tried my best to stop these people from behaving like this, but nobody listens to me. I do not like this habit of touching the feet. At this, the American lady quietly took the Bible from the missionary's hand and read the following passage from it. And behold, began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known what manner of woman this is that touches his feet, for she is a sinner. Then Jesus answering said unto Simon, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 pence and the other 50. They had nothing to pay. The creditor frankly forgave them both. Tell me now which of them will love him more. Simon answered, That whom he forgave most. Then he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered thy house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loved little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven, thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. Luke seven thirty-seven through 50 This scene described by Luke is of daily occurrence at the Dera, said Mr. Virban. Professor Jagmohan Lao commented, Christ is always doing things like that. That is the habit of all the Christs. The great master would stop me, but otherwise I would have related a very interesting story to you. We will ask the great master not to stop you, said the American lady. Please tell us the story. At this, the great master went inside the house to have a drink of water, leaving the professor to relate the following story. Once the great master went to Amritsar for satsang. It was his custom to give a satsang there on every sankrant, the first day of every Hindu month. He was going to the satsangar on the Majita road in his car, and the road was very crowded. People were going to the satsangar in cars, tongas, bicycles, and rickshaws, and a very large number were on foot. He was at a distance of about two furlongs from the satsangar when, on a turn in the road, a man suddenly fell down in front of his car. The driver stopped the car, and the great master got down to see what had happened. 
a drunkard had fallen right in front of the car, but luckily he had escaped quite unhurt. The great master, with the help of a companion of the drunken man, tried to make him stand on his feet, but he was too drunk to walk steadily. A number of satsangis who had gathered around helped him to get out of the way. When the great master left, the drunkard asked who was the sardar in the car, for the great master's majestic figure could not but impress this peasant, even though he was not in his full senses. His companion, who was also half tipsy, told him, perhaps just by way of leg pulling, that the people around said that he was God who had come to earth to save sinners like him. God he seems to be, and I want to go to him to get my sins forgiven, the peasant said, and after a few minutes he, with a half-emptied bottle of liquor in his pocket, reached the satsangar, reclining on the shoulder of his companion. The great master was sitting in an easy chair, relaxing himself. We noticed this man only when he suddenly, with unsteady steps, tumbled down at the feet of the great master, placed his head on his feet, and locked the great master's legs in his arms. You are God. Forgive me my sins, he begged. No, I am not God, said the great master, trying to release himself from his grip. I am a sinner like you. Now get up, my son. I will not rise unless you say that you have forgiven me, said the peasant. The great master laughed involuntarily, and with the laughter came his forgiveness. Manohar, the master's personal attendant, and Jamadar Partap Singh wanted to remove the man by force, but the great master stopped them from doing so. Well, he said with a smile, this is a strange way of getting forgiveness by force. The drunkard began to weep bitterly. Say what you like, but I won't leave your feet until you forgive me, he said. The great master laughed heartily and put both his hands on the man's head. Well, rise up, for you are forgiven, my son, he said. All my sins? Am I saved from the hellfire? asked the peasant, raising his head. Yes, your faith has saved you, replied the great master. In the evening, the peasant was found standing in the queue waiting for initiation. A few were rejected, but he was among those who were accepted. You will have to abstain from alcoholic drinks and animal foods in the future, the great master told him. Wine I can never give up. It is simply impossible for me, the man replied. Well, then, promise one thing, and that is that you never take it in my presence, said the great master. That I do promise, sir, said the peasant. How do you earn your livelihood, the great master asked. By theft and robbery, was the surprising reply. That must be given up. You must choose some other profession, said the great master. I don't know any other profession, the man told him. But you must start to earn your living in some other way now that you have been initiated, the great master insisted. I cannot do anything else and have never done anything else, said the peasant. All right, then promise me one thing more, that you will not steal any more than you actually need and that you will not take anyone else with you when you go out to steal. That I promise with all my heart 
the master replied the man replied before leaving he again fell at the master's feet the master again blessed him by putting both his hands on his head after this he committed theft only once following his initiation he went to attend the marriage ceremony of a female relative who lived in Gurdaspur district and while there he ran short of money one night he entered the house of a bania banker and broke open his strong box just as he had taken hold of a bundle of currency notes the heavy upper lid of the iron chest fell on his arm wounding him grievously and holding it fast as in a trap all his cunning and cleverness failed to get him out of it when after a long struggle he finally gave himself up as lost the great master appeared before him helping the robber to free his arm he said did you not promise me not to steal any more than you needed now run away to save your life and leave everything here after that the peasant never again committed any theft on the very first day of his return to his village his boon companions approached him and asked him to join them for the usual evening drinking bout at first he refused point blank to join their orgy but they were determined to celebrate as they said the inauspicious occasion of his being saved from hellfire by his misfortune in meeting a saint they opened their bottles of illicit liquor and offered him a jug full of it but with folded hands he humbly begged to be excused at this one of his comrades balwant singh who was his second in command took over the command of the group saying that since their regular commander had gone out of his senses he would act in his place as a warning he told the master's disciple that his arms and legs would be held by two loyal officers and he would then be laid flat on the ground with his face up another officer would hold his hand over his nose and the commander himself would then perform the ceremony of emptying the jug into his mouth speak prisoner what have you got to say in your defense thundered his second in command i submit the robber chieftain replied there was a loud hurrah and a shout of victory for the illicit wine they all filled their jugs and sang the bacchanalian song who dies as long as liquor lives gangu this turned out to be the name of the man initiated by the great master had just raised his jug to his lips when he saw the great master appear before him remember your promise my son said the great master as soon as you break it i shall take back my pardon also gangu stood up flung the jug at the face of his second in command and ran out of the room slamming the door behind shut behind him soon he returned with a rifle in his hands you know what a sharp shooter i am he told his former cronies you also know how ruthlessly i can kill my own men for disobedience now stay seated as you are and listen to me most attentively the least movement will bring instantaneous death his second in command started to speak saying sadar no sadar he thundered and at the same instant pointed his gun towards balwant singh the silence of the grave fell instantly over the group in the room then the robber chieftain spoke 
Now listen, my brothers, he said. I have come in touch with a Satguru, one sight of whom has changed my life. I have promised him never to touch wine again or to commit any crime. This robber band breaks up tonight, never to meet again to commit any crime. Here are the keys of my treasure chest. I do not see anyone amongst you who has the qualities of a leader. Take these keys and divide the money in the chest equally among you. You will each get about 5,000 rupees. With this sum, each of you can start any business you like. Go to some big city and settle down there. I do not think any of your names are as yet known to the police. You can easily start a new life. If any of you should be arrested and accused for any of your past acts, I shall see that you are properly defended and acquitted. I have now washed my hands of this entire affair. You can speak now if any of you wish to say anything. Sardar, we won't be able to live without you, said one. Then they all said the same thing. We will all live like brothers, but no longer as thieves and criminals, said Gangu in a very loving tone. But no, he continued, I am a proclaimed offender. The police are after me. I won't resist them now, and so I am sure to be captured some day. So you should all try to keep away from me as much as possible. Associating with me won't do you any good. One last word and I have done. At least once in your life, go to Bayas and have the darshan of the great saint who resides there. I won't mind it if any of you go to the police and inform against me. But mind you, this will bring more trouble on you than on me. Saying this, he flung the bunch of keys to them and with folded hands bade them good night and farewell. And Gangu was indeed captured and hung in prison. Um, and he did not mind. He spoke about his master. Uh, as he was being hung, actually. And this is a very famous story. Uh, Sanchi referred to Gangu a number of times um, among the satsangis in India. And in another part of the book from which this came, which is the book called The Call of the Great Master by Daryal Al Kapoor, who recorded, took notes and recorded these conversations, um, Gangu had, the way he became a bandit was he was on his way to enlist in the army. And on the way to go there, um, he saw a policeman beating a man who was spread-eagled on a um, um, rope bed. His arms and legs were tied to each corner of the bed, and the policeman was uh, whipping him. And he, he went and asked the policeman why he was doing that. And the policeman told him to mind his own business and kept on whipping. And the man said, told him to stop doing it. And the policeman laughed at him. And the man uh, attacked the policeman, um, knocked him out, untied the peasant, and let him go. But of course, from that point on, he was an outlaw. And he... Uh, so he never did enlist in the army, and he accepted his criminal status and continued accordingly. 
So to me, this story has always, um, and along with the story from the Bible that the lady read, has always um, brought home the point, the fact that we, you know, only know a little bit about anybody that comes into our presence. We know what seems to be. We don't know what's going on within that person, what has led to their present status, whatever it may appear to be. And that someone who has a more comprehensive vision than we do, someone who can see from the perspective of God, can take a very different view of that person, which is a very good reason uh, to remember um, that we are not to judge anyone, you know, and that Swamiji says even that we are not to indulging in criticism or praise is sinful because nobody can be described as he really is. That's the secret. We can't describe anybody as he really is, therefore we have no business either criticizing or praising anyone. You know, we don't know enough. And then he says, if you must criticize anyone, criticize yourself. If you must praise anyone, praise the master. Otherwise, let your conversation be yes, yes, or no, no. And this is obviously very similar to things that Christ said in the Bible also. Uh, very similar. So it's like it's a continuing, I mean, the master is able to tell, you know, things like exactly where Gangu stood, even though to anyone else looking on, he was a very disreputable and um, unrespectable and really quite undesirable person. Um, but the master was able to see through that and also to accept his very qualified agreements. You know, any representative, if they had been answered the way that Gungu answered the master, would have said, no, then you know, nothing doing. You can't be initiated. You've got to promise, you got to promise and mean it to give up these things. You can't be initiated and continue to drink, and you can't be initiated and be a robber. Any master would have done that. I mean, any, excuse me, any representative would have done that. Um, but the master didn't do that because he could see more. So it's a very interesting point, I think, and a reminder of how little we actually know and how, uh, how we have no business acting as though we know more than we do. This is, I think, the truthfulness category in the diary form. Um, is a, this is a large part of it. I've often told a story of um, a friend of mine who was in India in the late 60s. And uh, at that time, a group of, I think, tourists or Americans, somebody turned up and visited the master at the ashram. And, uh, before they left, they wanted a picture taken, and they had a new kind of camera. 
And uh, Master asked if anybody knew how to work that camera. And this friend of mine said, uh, yeah, I do, only he didn't. But he thought he could. He thought he could figure it out, and he wanted to, um, you know, be of assistance and all that. So he took the camera, and he stood in the proper place, and he tried to work it, and he couldn't, he couldn't figure it out. And um, the master and the people were standing there and standing there and standing there while the guy was desperately trying to figure out what to do. And finally the master walked over and took the camera from him and said, if you can't do it, don't say it. And I think that is a very good reminder of exactly what the masters are talking about. Uh, in this context, if you can't do it, don't say it. And when Jesus said, every idle word shall be held against you on the judgment day, all of those instances in which we pretended to know more than we did and allowed other people to think that and acted as though we know more than we did all of those instances will come up. They are part of our karma, and they will be there, and we will have to deal with them one way or another. So those are thoughts from uh, words and actions of Baba Samansing. Our closing bhajan is on page 267. Tumase Tumase Mary Puritapurani. Oh beloved Kapal Guru, my love with you is very ancient. I am lying at your door. I am standing with my hands stretched out. The eyes are thirsty. Make me have your darshan. Shower grace, O Lord. Take me across, O friend of the miserable ones the ocean of compassion. How do you forget me? Showering grace, you liberated the saints. O Satguru, you have liberated even the sinners. You ate the contaminated fruits of Shivri. You embraced all those who came into your refuge. You have erased everyone's difficulties. You have known everyone's pains. And of course, that's a, ref a reference to the story of Lord Rama and Shivri, the low-caste woman who uh, tasted the fruit before giving it to him, thereby making it totally contaminated according to Hindu ritual law. But Lord Rama lovingly and happily accepted her food, um, which the masters have referred to over and over again, uh, to some extent, making the same point that we have just been considering, or there are other points too, including that love is the most powerful force of all. O oh, Satguru, I am in your refuge. You are an ocean and I am your drop. You are my mother and father and brother. I am a beggar. You are the giver. O oh, Ajayam, this is the tale of lives. This is the story of birth after birth. Oh, beloved Kapal Guru, 
My love with you is very ancient. Bhajan of Sanchi on page 267. Thank you. 
us all.